0: Well, friends, it's great to be here. And uh, who loves this time of year? Some kind of things are wrapping up. School's finished for some of you, I know. Very excited uh, young people. And um, that's kind of that Christmas feel in the air. Who's got the tree up already? Yeah, well, yeah, okay, Stacey's where very behind at the moment. I've had a hectic week. Uh, what about the Christmas lights? Who, who gets into the whole Christmas lights thing? Yeah, a yeah, few people. One of my favourite uh, photos that that I first saw on might have been Facebook somewhere um, about five years ago was this one. Since then, since then they're popping up all over the place as people just go so extravagant with their lights. I think I think you can now buy a Ditto sign. Yeah, so you can do that. Uh, I, I thought that was fantastic. Um, but of course, as Christmas approaches, what do we do? We get ready. Does anyone who still sends cards—not not, not electronic ones, but like paper cards—does it? Yeah, a few. Like this morning, picture it. This morning, slightly different age you know, demographic. Lots of hands went up. Um, now, here's one: who still does 12 months of family news? on a sheet of paper, folds it up, you know, and whacks it in a card and sends that out. Yeah, oh, yeah, three, four, excellent. Good to see that. Uh, I think it's always lovely. Uh, speaking of speaking of cards and, and things like that, how's the letterbox at the moment? Like, just chocker with junk mail. I have we be doing about a kilo every couple of days at the moment. Poor old Amazon. And, um, and uh, all these shops just trying to get our attention, saying, we've got... What you need for those gifts, so come on in. Christmas, we know it's close. We know it's coming. It's imminent. We all get ready. And of course, if you've got young children, that sense of anticipation and excitement uh, is just increased so much, Um, especially as like those uh, funny-shaped presents wrapped under the tree start to pile up. Uh, Great time of, of year. We know Christmas is coming, so we get ready. Now, no one, of course, thinks, oh, maybe it won't come this year. Like, we, we just know it's coming, don't we? So we get ready. Um, who's going on holiday? Anyone? Who's actually going away for the holidays at some point? Yeah, a couple of people. That's good. It's always nice, isn't it? You mark it in your calendar, and as the days get closer and closer, you do get excited about it and you pack your bags and uh, you check the car, book the accommodation or the flights, whatever, plan the activities, ask the neighbours to look after the pets and the post and all that kind of thing. Um, Whenever there's a certain important event, whether it's Christmas, holidays or just going to work or school, we get ready, we get ready. If you kind of haven't got the point that I'm making so far, here it is. It's on the screen. What we believe about the future impacts how we behave in the present. I was just trying to make it sound good. Um, That's true, isn't it? It's true. This passage that we're looking at tonight, this passage tells us that Jesus is going to return and it encourages us to be prepared, to get ready. So look at that screen again. What we truly believe is going to happen in the future impacts what we do in the present. It shapes our priorities. It shapes our decision-making and our plans and our spending, our lifestyle choices, our relationships, our everything. Like like dye infiltrating water. Or have you ever put your whites in the washing machine and someone's throwing a brand new red sock in there or something like that? (laughs) Like, it, it, just, it just infiltrates and affects and colours everything else. That's what our knowledge of the return of Christ is supposed to do in our lives. There's no such thing as a tie-dye Christian, by the way. You know, a bit of belief, bit of not belief. Um, as we look at God's word tonight, well, let's dive into it. Let me uh, pray first. Dear Father, thank you for the great encouragement of your word. Thank you for the way it helps us make sense of life and gives us certain hope for eternity. Please help us understand this passage so that we can be ready for Jesus. Because we know it's not a matter of if, but when. Amen. Um, Do keep your Bibles open. Uh, Today's passage, of course, flows straight on from what we looked at last week uh, and can builds on that. So let me just give you a really brief brief recap if you weren't here. Um, The Thessalonians were really, really worried about believers who had died before Jesus returned. Paul encouraged them by showing them that when a believer dies, grief, real grief and hope are not opposites. They're actually friends. On the day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, followed by believers who are still living, and they will all be with each other and with the Lord Jesus forever. What, what a glorious hope we have. But you can kind of imagine someone at the back, you know, putting up their hand with a question. Yeah, all sounds good, but like, when? When, you know, like, give us a date, give us a time so we can RSVP and prepare for it. Paul responds to that question in today's passage. Follow it with me. Now, brothers and sisters, just starting at verse 1. About times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The day of the Lord's a common theme in both the Old and the New Testament. This fearful day, and at the same time, a kind of glorious day. The Old Testament prophets look forward to a day uh, when God would intervene in human history to bring peace and lasting security to his people and at the same time to bring judgment on all who oppose him. It would be a time when people of all nations would turn to the Lord, and his law would be written on their hearts. The prophecies focused on a a Messiah figure, a rescuer from God, and two clear pictures emerged in the prophets. The first one is a humble suffering servant who would bear the sin of his people. Isaiah 53 uh, is the most full picture of this. Uh, For example, verses 4 and 5 say, He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought Us peace was on him. Amazing prophecy, 700 years before Jesus came, all fulfilled in Christ. But the second picture from the Old Testament prophets is strikingly different. It's of a king who will rule the world in righteousness and strength. Sometimes the two pictures are mixed together, like in Zechariah chapter 9. It says this See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. The two pictures seem to be clearly talking about the one person, but who and when. Now, of course, this side of the cross, we can see that Jesus is clearly the suffering servant who gave his life. For the sins of his people. But in his ministry, Jesus made it clear that he was also the king who would conquer death, rise victoriously and return one day to rule. And Paul shows us how these two images fit together in that glorious song in Philippians chapter 2. I don't think I've finished fixing it on the screen. Let's see how we go. Have you got it there, the next one? Ah, oh, yeah, it's a bit of a bodgy job there. Um, I just added it in tonight. Let me Let me paraphrase it for you. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that... Jesus Christ is Lord. But we don't see every knee bowing to Jesus yet, do we? We know it'll happen one day, but we don't know when. Now, imagine for a moment if God told us the date and the time. It's going to happen on such and such. You know what, I reckon it'd happen. It'd be just like a, a year eight history assignment. Oh, that's way off procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. Don't even think about it. Don't let it affect your routines whatsoever. And then the night before, oh, far out. Jesus coming back tomorrow. Oh, oh better, better get ready. Panic, panic, panic. Yeah. Uh, and be ready to submit or be ready to present yourself. Uh, I, I reckon that's pretty close. It's really interesting because every time Jesus talked about his return, He focused not on His timing, but on our task of being ready and what we do. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Jesus told His disciples, It is not for you to know the times or dates. It's exactly the words in today's passage, wasn't it? Um, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That's what we do until he comes back. Elsewhere, Paul puts it in the words of, be ambassadors for Christ. That's what we do, until he returns. Um, Jesus uh, did the same thing uh, back in Matthew 24. This is even before he died. He knew what was happening coming up ahead. Uh, And this is where Paul got the whole thief in the night image from. Let me read a bit to you here. But about that day or hour, No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Sounds like, like the peace and safety that tonight's passage talked about, doesn't it? Just life going on as normal. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away that's sobering isn't it that's sobering the whole world was just living like nothing would ever change and they were caught completely unprepared as we look at today's reading we see two dangers promoted by two kinds of people. The first is uh, those who try to tell you times and dates. Times and dates. And I think I've jumped a couple of screens there, Sam. Just trying to keep you on your toes, buddy. You're doing a really good job. Keep clicking. One more. That's the one. Times and dates. And various religious groups down through the centuries have done this. Like the JWs who have predicted the time and date of Jesus return six times. Problem was, Jesus didn't show up. Hopefully, none of us will fall for those kinds of teachings. Jesus said clearly, no one knows the time or date. Someone once said, when you focus on chronology, and ignore theology, it's a knowledge of God's word, you're left with mythology. A bunch of human ideas that might sound wonderful, but are not based on truth. The second danger, and I think we're really vulnerable here, the second danger is those who say peace and safety, even grab a cap, as though nothing will ever change this attitude sometimes can be motivated by blind arrogance. And I think the Romans were like that in, in Jesus' time uh, because they believed that their own rule, the Roman Empire, was the key to peace. They even had a phrase for it, the Pax Romana, meaning the Roman peace. That was the answer that the world needed. Well, it didn't last, did it? Sometimes the, the peace and safety myth Is motivated by sinful defiance we see that in our day we was alive and well back then to 2 Peter chapter 3 Peter writes this above all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say where is this coming he promised Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That's from 2 Peter chapter 3. It almost sounds like a conversation I've had at the beach. I think our whole culture is actually screening peace and safety at us in this kind of way. And it's hard to resist because it invites us to just live for the moment, live for ourselves while we can, determine our own future, go our own way. And not give any thought to eternity. Someone said to me yesterday down at the beach, it doesn't get any better than this. Life is good, but life is short, so make the most of it. Do what you like as long as you don't hurt anyone. Like, seize the day, suck the marrow out of life, carpe diem. Friends, what does God say? Look at verse 3 Destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The same future awaits not just the false prophets who give false hope, but also those who follow them. This is one reason why we as a church give a a real high priority to trying to understand God's word. So we can have confidence in the truths of Scripture and build our lives on that. And so that we can spot any kind of false teaching, no matter how pleasant it might sound or how alarming it might sound. As we go on in this passage, the next few verses expand on this contrast between believers, whom he keeps on calling brothers and sisters, and unbelievers, unbelievers. And we're going to kind of build this up on the screen. Notice there's no middle option. You can't kind of half believe and half not believe. doesn't really make any sense. Let's put it all together. Paul uses pronouns like uh, we, you, and us for believers. He's a believer. He's talking to believers. Well, unbelievers are simply referred to as others down in verse 6. And he says there, don't be like them. Verse 4, I have to admit, um the, the new NIV which we're using, I think and I, I think verse 4 is a bit ambiguous, the way it reads. It's grammatically correct, but it's not that clear. Um, what it means, you're all looking at it now, aren't you? <laughs> um, uh, let me read what the New Living Translation says. Sometimes if it's not quite clear, I'll look at another good translation and just see how it puts it. NLT says this, But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Does that sort of make it a bit clearer? Uh, It sounds a bit ambiguous in the NIV. In verse 5, Believers are children of the light and children of the day compared to those who belong to night and darkness. Now, friends, we're not any better than anyone else. It's not a result of our own goodness, but the wonderful work of God's Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Verses 6 and 7 adds, Awake and sober on the good side and asleep and drunk on the other side. Now, sleep, these are kind of metaphor-type words. Asleep means you are unresponsive to the gospel. You know, you can hear God's truth again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Don't want to say it a few more times. And, and just like washes over you and makes no change in your life. That's like me preaching to someone who's asleep. Oh, I was looking for someone just to like pick on, but you're all awake. It's good. Um, and then the drunk bit, not literally drunk, but it suggests that you, you don't take God's word seriously. You don't take God seriously and perhaps even you make fun of it. You make fun of the gospel. Have a look at what's on screen at the moment. Let me ask you this, what side best describes your spiritual condition right now? Friends, it's worth considering very seriously because look at the consequences in verse 9. There's salvation for the believer and there's God's wrath for the unbeliever. Or verse 3 calls it destruction and there's no escape from that destruction. Yes, there's also no escape from living joyfully with the Lord forever if you believe which is wonderful friends where do you stand before god tonight nothing is more important hebrews 9:27 says people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment are you ready for that do you know what you will say to god when he stands and confronts you with your whole life before his eyes. Have you received the salvation that he offers? Did you notice how Paul put it in verse 9? God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God loves us all. God sent his son to die in our place so that we could be saved see verse 10 jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we may live together with him on the cross jesus was treated as if he had lived your sinful life of rebellion against god so that through faith in jesus you can be treated as though you lived his perfect sinless life. It's the wonderful transaction of the gospel. If you've already put your trust in Jesus, then know this judgment will not be the last word on your life. God offers complete forgiveness and a warm welcome into his presence with the Lord Jesus. To all who trust in him, turn to Jesus today, friends. Be saved for eternity. I guess that's how our present can shape our future. But at the start, I said, what we believe about the future impacts how we behave in the present. So if heaven is our future, if you've put your trust in Christ, how are we supposed to live on earth? Verse 8's really helpful. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Heart and head protected by the promises of God. It's good, isn't it? Paul often put faith, hope and love together. They're like cardinal virtues for the Christian life. They're like that that dye in the water. A wonderful God-coloured dye faith, hope, and love that permeates every crevice of the life of the Christian, removing sinful darkness with the wonderful light of his truth as we get ready to meet Jesus, that servant king, and be with him forever. Well, how do we do it? I want to finish with a really simple uh, way to apply this, and uh, I think it's helpful. We go forward one. Have we we lost our traffic lights? Is there traffic lights up there? You're going to have to all imagine. Traffic lights, right? Green, orange, red. I'll start with the red. Uh, There's a great way to read the Bible. As someone who belongs to God's forever family, what do I need to stop doing in order to honour the Lord Jesus who gave his life for me? What things do I need to stop Now, orange, that's all about change. So same kind of question. In light of eternity with God, what do I need to change about the things that I'm doing? See, nothing in life should remain unquestioned in light of the gospel and the Lord's return. And lastly, green light down the bottom. Let's go. What things do I need to keep on faithfully doing as a child of God Uh, serving him, being an ambassador of him, being a witness for him in this world. How can I keep living out the faith, hope and love that he gives? Uh, And then like last week, Paul finishes by saying, the very last verse there, encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage literally means to instill courage in another person, to give them confidence and certain hope. Friends, we do this for one another by reminding each other of our future with Jesus. We do this by living holy and godly lives, being a good role model to one another and honouring and pleasing Jesus. We do this by encouraging one another to stand firm and in all things to live now in the light of eternity. Amen.